Hey everybody, Chris here with a special short weekend episode. In 13 months, you're going to cast a ballot to elect the next president. We've got more than a year left before that big decision. And in the meantime, a lot of us are worried with good reason that this is going to be just another year of shouting and outrage and hostility. So what if we could go back? What if we could hop in the time machine and find that magical time when America was united and our political parties weren't completely at each other's throats? Well, I've got bad news, bad news, and good news. First off, there is no such thing as a time machine because of how physics works, I guess. But that's a whole other show. That was the first bad news. The second bad news is there really was no such past to go back to. But the good news is, today, Wondery invites you not just to imagine, but to actually go back and relive those so-called good old days in a new podcast. It's called American Elections Wicked Game, and it has just begun. What they're doing with this show is something that's important, and I promise it is relevant to you. It's relevant to me. That's why I agreed to preview the show on our show. Starting way back in 1789 with the election of George Washington, all the way through 2020, each episode of Wicked Game goes into the details behind each presidential election. We have had 58 of these things. And now we've got a podcast here that digs into the true story of what went down in each of them. The host is Lindsey Graham. Nope, not that Lindsey Graham, the other one. This one is the host of American History Tellers and American Scandal, and now he is the host of American Elections Wicked Game. He is not a senator. So listen to this short preview, and while you're listening, pop over in whatever podcast app you're listening in and subscribe to American Elections Wicked Game. I have already subscribed, and yes, there are links aplenty in the show notes. Ready? Take it away, Lindsay. At the outset of the convention, Washington was hopeful, writing, The sentiments of the different members seem to accord more than I expected they would, as far as we have yet gone. Because most delegates supported the basic premise of the new government, three branches of government, a system of checks and balances, but the devil was in the details, and sharp clashes quickly emerged. Issues such as slavery, representation, and the disparate needs of the small and large states threatened the convention's success. It wouldn't be long before Washington's optimism gave way to dread. In early July, Washington wrote to Alexander Hamilton, I almost despair of seeing a favorable issue to the convention and do therefore repent having any agency in the business. A frustrated Washington lambasted the narrow-minded politicians who couldn't see beyond their local views and regional concerns. And no issue at the convention was more divisive than the question of the presidency. For many, the notion of a strong president who could veto the laws of Congress was tantamount to monarchy. Washington took the opposite view. He held a firm belief that a strong executive branch was necessary to a stable government. But in spite of his political conviction, during the debates, Washington remained largely silent. As the founders fought it out over the future of the country, Washington chose instead to listen and observe, to keep order, and do his best to forge consensus and compromise. And in the end, in spite of the vehement disagreements, compromise won the day. On September 17, 1787, after months of heated debate, the Constitution was born. An independent judiciary, a legislature with two houses that balanced the needs of the large and small states, and a strong presidency. The issue of slavery was shelved in order to secure support from the southern states. The Three-Fifths Compromise, which allows slave states to count three-fifths of their slave population, helped achieve representational balance between North and South. 
The new constitution was imperfect, but it passed with 39 votes of the 42 delegates present from the 12 participating states. Rhode Island had refused to participate. Washington called the outcome of the convention a miracle. He would write that the new constitution, despite its flaws, was nearer to perfection than any government hitherto instituted among men. But not everyone shared Washington's zeal. Patrick Henry, the famous revolutionary hero who said, give me liberty or give me death, had refused to even attend the convention. He would say of the new government, the principles of this system are extremely pernicious, impolitic, and dangerous. For Patrick Henry, the constitution was an invitation for monarchy. Still, despite fierce opposition, the convention's efforts were successful and the constitution was sent off for ratification. It's not an overstatement to say that none of this would have been possible without George Washington. The South Carolina delegate, Pierce Butler, testified to Washington's impact. Many of the members cast their eyes towards General Washington as president and shaped their ideas of the powers to be given to a president by their opinions of his virtue. James Monroe, in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, wrote, Be assured, Washington's influence carried the government. In late September 1787, shortly after the convention came to an end, Washington set out to make the long trip back to Mount Vernon. He carried with him a four-volume set of Don Quixote he had purchased in Philadelphia the day the Constitution was signed. He was hoping to enjoy some light reading on the leisurely journey home, but Mother Nature had other plans in mind. When Washington tried to cross a bridge in the middle of a torrential downpour, his stagecoach slipped off the side. One of his horses tumbled over, plummeting 15 feet below and nearly pulling Washington to his death. But this wasn't the first time Washington had cheated the grave. During the Battle of Mongahela in the French and Indian War, his horse had been shot out from under him not once, but twice. After the battle, he ended up with bullet holes in his coat, but none in his flesh. During the Revolutionary War, Washington had fought at the Battle of Princeton. He seemed to literally dodge bullets as he rode his horse dangerously close to the British lines just 30 yards away. And during his lifetime, he contracted diseases from tuberculosis to dysentery, and each time he lived to tell the tale, a nearly unheard of feat at the time. Washington was lucky, and so was the nation. The Constitutional Convention of 1787 had been a success. And in the aftermath of the Constitution's ratification, the question of who would lead the new government, of who would be the nation's first president, was obvious to many, including Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton saw that a Washington presidency was essential to America's survival. He would write to Washington that if the first president failed, the blame will in all probability be laid on the system itself. Hamilton saw something else, too. A flaw in that system, a defect in the electoral process set up by the founders that could be exploited by Washington's enemies. In the election of 1789, Hamilton would put a scheme in motion to overcome that flaw, rally support, and sway the election in Washington's favor. That was just a preview of American Elections' Wicked Game. To listen to the rest, subscribe to American Elections' Wicked Game on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.